Yeah, things just disintegrated. I think the statute of limitations have run out, so I could probably talk about that. One of your objectives in life needs to be to build a financial fortress around your family that no one can tear down. Probably the biggest mistake I made was to try to wing it. Wah, wah, wah. I was devastated. I mean, totally devastated. And back to the start. This concept of the second bite of the apple, it's a life changer and it's completely changed my, my life. This is as close to an ATM cash on demand business as you can imagine. And he said, well, it's at least 10 times. Well, maybe I am interested in selling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I panicked. So I call them up and they said, no, it's going to be like six different transfers today. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, this is Mike Koenigs. Welcome to another episode of Capability Amplifier. This is for you if you are a founder, a business owner, an entrepreneur who's always dreamed of selling your business and walking away with a big check. And uh, if you're like me, after I've actually sold five businesses, so part of this interview and this conversation with Joey Osborne, my special guest, who just had an exit, is all about our biggest and dumbest mistakes we've ever made as we prepared, but also some of the biggest life lessons and the capabilities we had to add uh, to our skill set in order to get to this special place. And one of the things that we found um, in talking to many, many business owners and entrepreneurs is we get stuck on how do you start preparing to sell your business? Maybe you don't know what you don't know and you hesitate because you're worried that maybe uh, when you do sell your business, either you won't get paid, the deal will fall apart, or the buyers won't uh, share your business values or your personal values. They're actually people that you need to like. So one of the things I love about Joey Osborne, he and I met about 10 years ago. He's been a client. He's been a friend. But he recently sold his business just a few months ago, and he walked away with an eight-figure uh, payday and he is acquired by a private equity firm. So part of what you're going to learn today is how to get positioned, how to become attractive. And we've got some great tools to give away. So one of the things that we'll have and share are the five most important things that any business owner needs to know to get acquired. And these are the non-obvious things. These aren't what's on your spreadsheet. It's just as much how to think as it is the preparation. And one of the great things about Joey, which I'm really, really excited about, is not only did he uh, continue to work with this private equity firm, but he's now helping other business owners who want to learn and prepare for the exit. And he's got some great strategies. So what I think I love most about him is, number one, he's got some unique insights. He has 30 years plus of education and experience. He's a guy who's invested in himself. And he's always focused on lifestyle compatibility. He's got really interesting hobbies. Uh, he's a falconer, for example. He was just telling me about this amazing Humvee that he restored. And um, so he's just a well-rounded human being. So with that, I'm just going to move right into talking to you, Mr. Joey hey, Osborne. Mike, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's a little intimidating to have Dan Sullivan looking over your shoulder with this, my favorite mentor on the planet. Yeah. Uh, so, but no, thanks for, thanks for having me. Now, this is, um, this is something I've been looking forward to doing. We've been talking about this for months, maybe even years. And um, as everyone's going to learn, not only do we have some great giveaways today, uh, I think you walk away with a great education. So maybe um, before we get into the process of selling the business and some of the great content, why don't you share a little bit of your entrepreneurial journey so people have a context? Because sure. um, people who do know who you are would recognize you from Strategic Coach, been a member. Um, you've also been a member of Genius Network. And um, you've also spent a lot of time with a lot of mentors, friends of mine that we share in common too. But oh, let's just get into a little bit of your backstory. Yeah, great. Well, thanks. No, and you you kind of, you know a lot of the backstory. You've, we've been, as you mentioned, connecting now for a decade or so. So you've seen the evolution of Mosquito Authority. I won't go back much uh, before that, but it's been about a 15-year journey from really the time it really got started until, until, the, until the exit. And lots of good times and bad times. Uh, along the way, but it was one of those businesses that sort of came out of a, um, out of a necessity in that I was transitioning from one, uh, you know, one thing to another. I'd been a, a contractor, building contractor, specializing mostly in lake, lakefront construction, boat dock, marine construction, 
and then a complete flip into something. It was pest control space that I knew nothing about, but it was all about timing and having been a lifetime entrepreneur, it's easier. I mean, there's so many things that we've all done over the years. It's it's even hard to remember them all, but I think the statute of limitations have run out on, on the stuff that I probably shouldn't have been doing, so I could probably talk about that. But I think the big takeaway was was the timing, just starting the right business at the right time and sticking with it was another challenge that we can talk about. Uh, but then getting to the end, the big the big payday, the big reward is was worth the grind. Yeah. And and for you, um, uh, and I'm going to get into a little bit more about the business, but because you had the exit with the private equity firm, you didn't sell the entire business. You have something that uh, you've referred to as the second bite of the apple. So why don't you give us the Tarantino mini version, and then we'll get back into how the business got started in the first yeah. place, because that's a good story too. Yeah, it is. And having never been a merger, furthest thing from a merger is an acquisition guy. You know, I'm a grassroots entrepreneur. So yeah, there's so many cool terms that have evolved out of that that business. But yeah, this concept of the second bite of the apple is literally it's it's a life changer and it's completely changed my my life. Uh, it's the the way that works is the right investor, the right PE company in my case was willing to give me a really nice payday out of the gate, but let me retain some interest, some ownership in in the company, so that when the second capitalization piece comes or the recap as they refer to it is I get to share in in that increase uh, as well. So it's definitely, uh, uh, you know, it was an unexpected little gem in the sales process. So yeah, second buy of the apples big, can be bigger than the first buy and it will be in my case. Yeah. I think that's um, a great story. And again, just to, to be really specific about what that means. Um, so you had the sale, private equity firm comes in, they give you a good chunk of dough. In your case, it's a, a multiple eight figure exit. Plus you retain actually a pretty substantial percentage of the business, which means the PE firm invests, they provide support, they help you grow it. You're available as an advisor. Yeah. And then they, of course, are either going to have some kind of an exit, either a larger private equity firm or some other buyer comes in, might be a strategic buyer. They've done all the prep and then boom, you get a second exit along the way, which, as you say, could very well be, I mean, staggeringly life-changing. No, absolutely. Yeah. Ab absolutely. And it's an opportunity that you just can't, outside that PE world or outside that big investment world, those, you just, you can't really get those sorts of opportunities unless you're a you know, $200 million, $250 million investor. It's, you just don't get those chances. So yeah, to play in the same game with, the, with, the, with that caliber of folks is really yeah, fun. Yeah, it's awesome. So yep. um, I think before we get into, again, the step-by-step -step stuff, um, a little bit of framing and context. The company that you built and sold is Mosquito Authority. Why don't you talk a little bit about why you started it, what the origin story was, and how it was structured? Because uh, the dead giveaway here is it's a franchise organization, yep. which has pros and cons. But I think for someone to understand your systems that you developed along the way that you provide now, um, understanding the context is going to matter. So mm -hmm. why don't you just share a little bit about why you invented the business and what the the driver was? Yeah, thanks. Now, as I mentioned, it was a timing issue. So it, it it's really got going. The business got going really well around 2009. And we all know what happened in 2008, 2009. <laughs> yeah, things just disintegrated. Yeah. Uh, and I happened, as I said, I was in the construction business. Uh, it was a really great business, a, a, a super cash flow business. But as we know, in 2008, 2009, cash stopped flowing, and I was a victim uh, of that, left with contracts that weren't paid, left with some financial commitments that I had probably stuck my neck out a little too much, bank banking on the industry continuing. Uh, so fortunately, as going back to the necessity piece, I had started this little little company, and it was nothing but just like a, almost an accidental kind of thing. I, I had a two-year-old at the time, and mosquitoes were really bad where we lived, so we couldn't put her out in the backyard to play without smothering her in DEET or doing citronella and all these things that I knew didn't work. So I started looking for for options. You know, how how can I better protect her from these you know, mosquitoes? And I kind of stumbled onto a little niche that literally had just gotten started maybe a year before, and that's the backyard mosquito space, which now is a 15, 16, 18 year old industry that's that's booming. 
But again, timing happened to be there at the right place at the right time. Uh, uh, being an entrepreneur and a do-it-yourselfer, I uh, started doing the research. You know how how these this one company basically owned the market at the time. So did some background research, figured out what they were doing. Went online, ordered the uh, what I thought would be the stuff to do it with the chemical and the machine, and uh, did my sprayed my yard. Zero mosquitoes. Uh, my wife was blown away. I was blown away. And again, first thing I thought was, how do I monetize this? This is too good just for me to keep to myself. Put a single yard sign in my front yard. Uh, put my phone number, my cell phone number on this yard sign, and it said something like "mosquito free zone" or something like that. Uh, miraculously, no one called the, the number. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, this is not such a great idea after all. Maybe a week or two later, one of my neighbors happened to be walking by. I was out working in the yard, and she stopped, and we chatted for a minute about the weather. And she said, I've been meaning to ask you, what is this no, what does this mosquito-free zone mean? I said, oh, it's the coolest thing. You can get your backyard sprayed, and you'll have no mosquitoes. It just works wonderfully. And she said, well, should I call the company? Is it a legitimate company? And I said, well, it's actually me. So I hadn't even told my neighbor yeah. about this. So she said, well, how much does it cost? And I kind of knew what I wanted to charge, but not being a sales guy, I said, I don't know. Let's try it and see if it works, and then we can talk about that later, which turned out to be the model that we used all, all the way through. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, getting toward the end of the story, I spray, her name's Scotty Sue. I go up and do Scotty Sue's yard, spraying her yard. I get done. She comes out and she said, would you go across town and do my son Grant's yard? Sure. Go over, drive five minutes to spray Grant's yard while I'm spraying Grant's yard. He's talking to the next door neighbor and they motion me over. So that was on a Saturday. I did like those four or five jobs. I think it turned out to be five. Monday morning, Scotty Sue called me and she said, I was at church yesterday telling people what you're doing. I have 12 people who want to try your, your service. So I knew then it was a real thing and it worked. Uh, so I did it for four or five years, just as sort of a standalone kind of business. I uh, built a foundation for it and then realized it, it was growing super fast. I was growing a couple hundred percent per year, hundred percent per year, a couple of years. Uh, I knew it needed to be um, expanded. So that's when I stumbled onto the franchise model. Launched that, and now we're up to 2009. I launched that in 2009, and uh, the first year we sold 100 franchise territories and pulled myself out of a, a hole that I was in at the time. Um, and uh, we were off to the races, and we were now 450 or so locations in 38 states, and it's a 50 or $60 million revenue business. Started with one yard sign. And the coolest thing is Scotty Sue's still a customer uh, today. Great. We give her a little bit of a discount, but we actually still, we still charge her a little for the service. Yeah. And for um, people out of all the, the franchise owners, the average revenue they're generating is between what and what? Yeah. So as with any model, you have the bottom 20%, the top 20%, the average across the board is probably approaching two and a half, two, two to two and a half million dollars gross revenue. And, and that, it's, that it's is, a six month, it's a six month a year gig too. And it's another cool, cool part about it. You can take the winter off in this, in this model. Yep. And I think what uh, I was super impressed with is the business model itself is awesome. The whole promise to the, well, and, and I'd like to hear the pitch to the franchise owner is what the big benefits that, that ultimately sell them. Um, you know, yeah, no, super question. And it, that's the reason we sold a hundred franchises territories our first year is the thing sold itself. I, I mean, there, there was a wow factor connected to it that you can't, you can't recreate, you can't create that artificially. It was a brand new industry. It had this component to it. It still does where people don't believe that it works because most folks have tried everything for mosquitoes. And there's this assumption, there's, there was more so then than now that you can't, you can't, and we offered a no mosquito guarantee. That was, that's the next part of it that really ended up being the, the cinch. But to answer your specific question, people got it. And we would have back in the day, um, I couldn't afford to run uh, ads, typical franchise sales ads. So I, I happened on the Craigslist and someone introduced me to Craigslist and I found that I could go on Craigslist and post a free ad, like in the business section where people are selling used office furniture. And I would get eight or 10 leads, uh, you know, in a 24 hour period. And it's like, Franchising is a beautiful model. I know that's where we're, we'd like to talk more about that. But it's like selling real estate you don't own. I was literally able to take a map and like draw a circle around it based on you know some geography and some population and demographics. But people will line up to pay you to buy a piece of real estate that, with the option to go operate your, your business. All right. And what... 
So the the net net is you'd say, hey, this is an opportunity to have a business of your own, uh, work half the year, yep. make at the time what what did you say you could the potential was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super question. My objective when I launched the thing was just to make enough money to make my mortgage payment every month, and I think at the time it was eight or nine hundred dollars, and I got to that point in you know two or three months. So I just used that as a selling point all the way through because it, I was always and this was a mistake maybe at the start is selling this thing as nothing much more than like paper route money, because I, I didn't see it any more than that. I thought maybe a couple hundred thousand dollars a year gross revenue would max this, this thing out. And we now have some franchisee doing 6 million, 8 million a, a, a year. But, but yeah, so that's, that's been the evolution. Okay. So, um, but it evolved into, and I'm going to just tell you what I'm looking for. Cause I think, you know, when I look at the, the model, it's, you can own your own business, work part-time, and run the whole thing from get to that part because yeah. you ended up selling the software gotcha. as a huge component of this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had, had that for so, from so long. I forget that. But no, it was a huge selling point was this business can be it's a service-related industry. So you're dealing with consumers, customers on a direct you know, one-on-one basis. So literally, yeah, all you need is a cell phone and this software that we that we built. We built a proprietary software, but it's a CRM, a scheduling and routing. It really runs the entire business under one hood. It has the capability to communicate with clients. It does billing and that. But yeah, it just literally enables the um, the franchise owner to to run the whole thing with a cell phone and the laptop. Yep. And and the other thing that's great for you, which ultimately made you attractive, was the fact that you're collecting all the money. Yeah. You're charging the franchise owner 10% basically, plus you had some additional services that you made available because you'd even lead gen for them. Yep. So all they really needed was a bunch of people who'd go out and spray and they'd get auto build. The customer would get auto build and uh, you've got repeat customers. I mean, it is, this is as close to an ATM cash on demand business as you can imagine. Yep. And if there's any mistake that we make as business owners often is we don't see how big our creation really is until someone tells us that. But but talk a little bit about the evolution that led to the sale and what they actually bought from you. Yeah. So you're right in terms of not realizing because it's such a, for me, it was a slow process. I'm talking about 15 years total, 10, 10 or 11 in the franchising space. So yeah, you lose sight of of where you where you started and what that one piece was uh, that got you got you going. But what ended up happening with me specifically with the with the purchase is I really didn't know that I had anything of value because like most entrepreneurs, founder led companies, you I was like you investing money back into the company. Obviously, you want to pay as few taxes as you can, so you're looking for ways to reinvest paying myself very handsomely, I had great salary, great, all that stuff was working fine. But I really didn't think that it was something that was marketable. And at some point in time, maybe a year or so before the sale, I started getting occasional calls or emails from, you know, people who were saying, are you interested in selling your business? And my assumption was it was just, you know, somebody trying to sell me something, some product or service. Mm-hmm. So I ignored a ton of them. But I finally took a call one day and it was from a, um, a, a guy who was turned out to be a headhunter, uh, and his role was he had owned businesses before and had exits, and he was trusted by uh, one particular big private equity company. And he introduced himself. I liked him, so we continued the conversation. And he asked me if I was interested in selling, and I shared, "Yeah, probably not. I don't think I have anything anybody would want." And he said, "Well, what are you basing that on?" And I said, "Well, I don't know." And he said, "Well, what's your EBITDA?" And I said, not only do I not, not know what my EBITDA is, I don't even know what EBITDA means. So he got a, he got a chuckle and I said, well, now, I'm, you know, I'm a sucker. So anyway, long story short there, he coached me along, gave me some really good, solid advice on, first of all, he, once we determined what EBITDA was, he said, no, you've got something here that's worth something. I said, what do you mean? And we'd, we'd established EBITDA and, uh, and he said, so what happens is these investors or PE companies will pay you a multiple of that number. And I said, what could I expect? And he said, well, I probably shouldn't tell you this, but it's at least 10 times. So I knew what the first number was, and I quickly did quick math. I thought, well, maybe I am interested in selling. Yeah, yeah. I actually have something here. It's of value. So anyway, he was a great mentor, still is, is involved and a good friend, um, helped me through the process. And 
got us to a first offer. All right. So from, but the first <clears throat> offer fell apart. Did. And what was the reason for that? What was the big takeaway lesson? Uh, and then we're going to lead into the, the big deal that yeah. actually happened. So yeah. let's, let's do a little contrast here because again, this is leading up to the five things that were non-obvious, but super important that you yeah. focus on today when you're working with and advising other business owners. Yeah. Well, I became quickly aware of how much I did not know about the, about the space, about this mergers and acquisition uh, thing. Scott had encouraged me. I realized I had something of value. He made the connection. But from that point, I pro the, probably the biggest mistake I made was to try to wing it and do it on my own, trust the PE company. So ended up with, a, with an offer. It was a big PE company, fast moving. They had tons of money. They were going to be buying 40 companies inside 12 months. So one of the first questions they asked, because Scott had shared with them our our uh, my EBITDA, and so they knew kind of what we where we were, and they had done their research. It turned out a lot of those calls I'd been getting prior uh, to this contact that I or call that I took were people doing background stuff. So this company had already interviewed franchisees. They had really kind of dug deep, so they knew what they were doing. So we they said, "Can you close in thirty days?" Again, I had no idea. I said, "Sure, I can close in thirty days." I didn't understand this process of due diligence. And I know you've been through it and you Jesus, can probably elaborate yeah. on yeah. on that. But so I said, yeah, we can close in 30 days. And so I got an LOI, got the letter of intent to buy. Uh, it was a good number. It's exactly where I thought I wanted to be at the time. So long story short, we go through 30 to 45 days of intense due diligence. I had to like bring in some expertise uh, to try to get, satisfy their needs because they're looking at accounting, they're looking at infrastructure, they're looking at you know, all these components of the business that that were functional, but not exactly as functional as they should have been. So, end of the story with this one is um, it was a really nice exit. It's going to be a seven figure figure exit, which is plenty. I was happy. I wasn't mm -hmm. thrilled, but I was happy uh, because I knew that the impact that was going to have on me and my my family. Um, so, forty five days, I get a call, twenty second call, it said thank you for your your. You know, this opportunity to negotiate with you, but we, the PE company, have decided to uh, to move on. We feel like you're three to four team members short of being where we want to be. Thank you. Have a good day. Literally, might have been a minute. Yeah, uh, I was devastated. I mean, totally devastated. I'd already. I mean, I knew where I was going to invest the money. I knew what I was going to buy this. I was going to buy that, and back to back to uh, back to the start. Yeah, yeah, and I I know that from experience where. For me, uh, my first exit was, uh, you know, we were privately held, got bought by a publicly traded, the, at the time, Minneapolis's largest advertising agency, had a billion a year in billings, and they were owned by the Interpublic Group, Interpublic Group, IPG, which is a huge conglomerate that owned tons of agencies. And um, it took us close to a year. To, to close a deal because we weren't prepared just like you. We have such a absolutely similar uh, backstory, but I can remember getting prepared and I had all the millions figured out in my oh, yeah. head and what I was going to do. And by the time I got the check, we paid our debts. Um, I had been through a divorce, um, taxes, attorneys, accountants, which we overpaid for, for sure. And uh, all the people, all the promises, a few bonuses here and there for the people who stuck it out. We declined in revenue because we had all of our attention went on getting this deal closed. And while you're closing the deal, you're not running your business and growing your business, okay? Which gives you an opportunity for the buyer to go in and renegotiate at the very end, which you don't expect all that stuff. So by the time you get your check, you know, in my case, I didn't have years of runway. I had some resting time and some other obligations. So I know how devastating that is. So mm. let's get to how long did it take to get to the second offer and the close and why was it worth so much more? What changed? What were those big lessons? Yeah. So the, the big thing that changed, first of all, I had this new awareness of, wow, this is how the game works. And I realized how, how deficient my organization, my structure was. And I really was, I certainly wasn't ready to close in 30 days. I wasn't ready to close at all. So had I had someone with expertise come in ahead of time, they'd say, no, you need to pull back. You don't need to waste your time and money because I too spent a ton of money 
on this due diligence process with his first company. So yeah, I learned my lesson there. And then the first thing I started to do was seek out somebody who could like help me. How do I get this structure that I need? Because by this time, it's an interesting thing that happened. And I think it's like a feeding frenzy that happens in any niche is that two of my competitors had re- just recently been purchased in which all the other PE companies looking at what the others are doing and say, oh, that's a space that we ought to be in. So within probably 30 days after this offer fa- uh, having fallen through, I had five or six other PE companies reach out to me. And now I'm taking the calls, <laughs> unlike the first time around. Yeah. Now I'm, now I'm responding to emails and taking the calls. But my message to them was at this point, I'm not ready. I'll let you know when I am. So, yeah, I made a, I made some contacts. I had a couple of referrals, and I had a, a gentleman referred to me who had experience in, in M&A. He had CEO experience. So I brought him in on an interim basis, and, and we started getting our, our ducks in a row and building out the things that we knew so that we would be, we, we would be ready. All right. So how did it end? So it ended well. So, um yeah, it was a pleasurable experience. The process ended up being pleasurable because a lot because the stress was much lower now because I knew what they wanted. I had this mentor, this guru, this professional now guiding things and he was putting out fires and and that. So very it turned out to be the best decision I made was having him on board. But uh so yeah, I narrowed it down. We I basically had Three of the five that I was speaking to um, entered into a somewhat of a bidding process. It was a very, uh, very structured kind of thing, not like a war. You know, it was very uh, straightforward. But um, so, yeah, I ended up with, I didn't actually take the highest offer, but I took the one, the, the best, in my opinion. And that best was what you described earlier, the opportunity for the second bite of the apple a company that was very, very uh, accommodated. Uh, they, would, they were willing to buy as little or as much as I wanted to sell. In the end, decided to sell. They, I thought it made sense to sell controlling interest to them because part of our growth process, uh, uh, plan was to do it through acquisitions. And I, I knew if we're making acquisitions, I wanted them to be making those decisions. It's mostly yeah. their money. So, yeah, so the end product-wise, it was due diligence was probably still four to six months, and it was grueling. And I spent a lot of money, but I hired the best at the, on the advice of my mentor. I hired the best law firm that I could find, and and those are expensive. Yep. So I ended up spending four hundred thousand dollars in due diligence. A big part of it went to the law firm and to the accountants that were associated with them. Best money you can spend. So, yeah. and I think you would agree with that based on some of the trials and tribulations that that you had. But what I ended up with was at closing day, a deal that was ready to go, a deal that actually, we actually were able to increase our EBITDA during the six months. And the cool thing about it, the PE company was fine with that. They said, well, the final price gets determined on the closing day and we'll see what 12 months trailing EBITDA is. And it was a little bit bigger number. So it was a bigger deal than I thought. Uh, you know, we, we, we did it all electronically. The close was electronically done. But the coolest thing... Uh, in the whole process. And when it all kind of hit home that, wow, this is really something was I, the, the bank would like text me. I'd get a message when a tra- wire transfer came in and the, actually the first one came in and it was, yeah, I knew this was a big eight figure deal, right? So yeah. the first one came in, there was like seven figures and I panicked. I thought, Oh no, something's gone wrong. And yeah. said, well, and so I call them up and they said, no, it's going to be like six different transfers today. <laughs> yeah. So, But it was a wonderful thing to see, you know, your bank bank account hit seven and eight figures. Um, but then I'm worried about, oh, can they actually take this back? I yeah. Mean, can I go to the bank and like get the money out real yeah. quick or Clawbacks. something? Clawbacks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't have those fortunately. Yeah. Uh-huh. So we negotiated a great deal that, that didn't have that, but I'm just thinking something's got to go wrong. This is yeah. too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from my, one of my deals, um, I did, they, soon as the transaction occurred, the buyer started to screw me mm-hmm. and I ended up, uh, they, they basically tricked me into leaving some money in an account that they immediately swept in after the transaction mm-hmm. was done to the tune of, it ended up almost being a half million dollars. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, so I learned that you, picking the right partner is super important. 
And I can remember my attorney said, there's a chance, a definite chance that the first transaction is all you'll ever get. And they'll find a way to wiggle out of, even if they agreed to something because, you know, it's possession is, um, half the law or yeah, more yeah, than yeah, half. Yeah. They say nine tenths of the law. <laughs> nine tenths of the law. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and there's so many ways that a, a company can trick you and working with an experienced buyer. And I was going to ask you how it felt, you know, when you look in your bank account, cause I can remember the first time it happened to me and it was like when you can, multiple seven figures dropped in, in your case, eight figures. How did that feel and what happened inside your head at that moment? So I had this mentor that I rank up there with Dan Sullivan, a guy named Jim Rohn. You may have even known Jim Rohn in the day, but amazing, amazing business mentor. But Jim Rohn said once that one of your objectives in life needs to be to build a financial fortress around your family that no one can tear down. And I thought, whoa, this is it. Because I knew about managing how, you know, we, this needs to be managed. It needs to be structured so that my kids and their kids and multiple set, it's so, it's a big, yeah, it's a big, it's a big deal. It's such a, it's, it's such a big enough deal that you think maybe I just shouldn't do anything else because I can only mess up from here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, totally. So, but yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a big, it's a big deal. And there's an emo- a lot of emotion around it. And there's a lot of, you and I've talked about some of the psychological things that, are not necessarily all positive because no. now you have this void that you, that's just your bank account's gotten huge, but your, maybe your self-worth is not what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And our yeah. friend Dan Sullivan actually talks about that. And he's coached me uh, on what happens sometimes when sellers, when people sell, especially founders sell business that they've, it's been their life. It's a big, yeah. big change. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get raw for a second and talk about, what you noticed and where your greatest um, fear showed up and where you got psychologically hit the most, like what were some of the key things? And, after, and obviously we've talked about it, but yeah, yeah. after it, what, what have yeah. been some of the things that you've struggled with post sale that um, um, have, have racked? And I've shared a lot of mine with you, but um, yeah, let's yeah. get raw for a sec. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's been now a little over a year, so it's fairly, fairly fresh. Um, initially I went into this acquisition mode myself and I'm still there. I still want to acquire businesses and I am in the process and I know you, you are too, yep. but I was really, really aggressive out of the gate to make a big acquisition because I was in a position to do so. I, I'd learned a lot and I had mm-hmm. this team in place now that could like assist me. I had the lawyers and the accountants and the, everybody's there and they still are. Yep. Uh, got the army ready to yeah, strike. They're ready to go. And now we've got the funding to do it. And I'd learned even you know, more techniques and have learned lots of good techniques about how you fund such a thing. So step one was I was looking for a business to buy. I found, I found one that I liked to check the criteria that I was looking for. It's basically looking to buy cash flow. Uh, I wanted to buy a million dollars cash flow and it's doable. It's very doable. Um, like the company entered into due diligence with them and spent six months in that and a couple hundred thousand dollars and the, and the sellers backed out and, Part of the reason they backed out was, and this was what really killed me, is they, this was a reason or excuse, I think it was an excuse, but they said, we're not sure you're the guy to own our business. And and that was like, the, you know, this was, my business was 10 times, 20 times what theirs was. And they were telling me that I'm not, so I've already lost my, somewhat of my self-worth, you know, that I'm, yeah. now that I'm out of this thing that I babied along. Um, so that was one of the psychological things. I pulled back um, on that a bit. Um, but I think the main thing, the bigger one is, and and now thinking about how I would do things differently is pretty quickly get into something else. You know, I, t- I only took two weeks off, you know, maybe two weeks. Mm. I already had all the toys that I wanted. So it wasn't like I could go out and buy stuff. Yeah. I'd already done all that. So, um, yeah. So looking for just something to fill that, that void and yeah, and that's a lot of why I'm here with you. I yeah. think I have something now that I can do that you and I are talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's exciting. And, um, and I know just to something that we were talking about today at breakfast, the mistake I made right away is, um, I had a huge bank account and I started a show and I started investing and I surrounded myself with people who are very happy to spend my money Mm -hmm. uh, and have big parties on my, on my bill. And I was dabbling 
to the tune. And I, I literally burned about 800 grand and in a few months. And one day all the money was out of my account. I'm like, what the hell happened? I call up my wife and she's like, I'm not going to let this happen to mm -hmm. you. It cost you cancer 10 years of your life to build and sell this thing. Yeah. And, um, uh, and I just want you to take pause. I'm going to support you no matter what you want to do. And, you know, it was a lot of cash. And I was like, it really woke me up because, you know, you just get into this mode where if you're, you know, grew up poor kids like us and you don't have resources and suddenly it seems like there's an endless bank account, um, you start playing around and reliving some of these, maybe these childhood fantasies that showed up and getting the right guidance along the way is really, really important. So with that, um, I thought, let's dive into the five big things because okay. we've spent a couple days together really thinking about and talking about our biggest lessons, your biggest lessons, and turning this next chapter of your life into a fun business. So I'm going to tell people where to go, first of all, to get some of this stuff. And then let's go through the big five. Okay. okay? So uh, what we've put together, Joey and me, is there's a site. It's readytosell.me. So it's easy to remember, easy to say. Um, you're going to get a copy of the five big things we're about to share now. The 12 core metrics that are most important. It's literally a checklist to see if your business is ready to, to sell, but also will help you determine what it might be worth. And uh, a brand impact scorecard is something really important that's part of the big five here. And then, of course, a transcript for this whole conversation, which has been edited. So with that, let's go through the big five okay. and uh, talk about their, that. So we've got, um, through your lens, what was the most important lesson that maybe you took for granted going into this or has been the big learning experience? I think that's the setup for this one. Okay, good. So, yeah. So started with, what did I take we for granted? We call that is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is the juice worth the squeeze? And that's the mindset part. Yeah. Yeah. So no, mindset is, is super critical. Uh, and unfortunately I'd spent, you'd mentioned spending time doing work prior to this and, and, in getting coaching and yeah, you've helped me along the way for 10 years now, Dan Sullivan for six or eight years, John Asaraf, Echo, you know, all these, these, uh, guys who are just, you know, it's all have this realization, understanding of what that if, with, if the mindset part is not right, it's really hard to get all the other pieces in place. So yeah, with, with mindset, I think number one, you have to get your mind right as the seller. Mm -hmm. You have to have as many people around you supportive of that, spouse particularly, on the same page. In my case, I had a very supportive spouse. She was ready for me to be out of the business yeah, and ready. Yeah. But I think what's the deal typically with retirement? You get the, the, the spouse or the wife gets half the or, or twice the husband and half the income. In our case, it's a little different. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so that's an important thing, but I'll tell you another good piece uh, that I've learned a lot about. It's important, very important is to the mindset of the buyer. And in, in this case needs to be aligned. And sometimes that needs to be tuned throughout the process because everybody's got to stay on the same page and have the, the same goal. So that's more or less where I was headed with mindset. Okay. And how about one of the I'll talk a little bit about preparing your team and maintaining confidentiality. Mm -hmm. um, that was a huge part of something that, that you and I talked about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it is because you have to, you know, most it's human nature to think what is, what's in this for me. And as, as excited as the team might be about the fact that, you know, you, the owner, the founder is getting ready to take a big payday. They're wondering what happens, uh, what happens to me. So that's an important piece, but I, I, th I did this, and I think most most conscientious sellers do this. They and, and the PE company that I dealt with was very uh, understanding of that, and willing to to make sure that the entire team came over. Everybody that wanted to come over came over. Uh, but the due diligence process involves sometimes bringing some of those team members in, and you have to. It's hard to get what you need from them productivity wise without them knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. So in my case, I, we had a meeting as soon as I could. And in the, in the, once I knew the deal was likely to happen, I brought in the key team members and shared with them, here's what's happening. Um, it's the timing is right. It's good for the company. It's going to be good for you. Uh, and sold them, sold them on the whole, the whole idea. And I didn't share with them at the time, but I certainly knew that I was going to compensate them well with some very nice bonuses, which, which I did. And, and it was critical, too, for the P company because they wanted 
commitment for me or assurance for me that these key people were going to still be there. Yeah, of course. They didn't want everybody walking out the same day. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, uh, talk a little bit about the due diligence process, but also the knowledge of when you're working with a sophisticated buyer in your case, this wasn't like an acquisition by a competitor or a collaborator in the industry. The fact that they're so much more sophisticated than you could ever hope to be. So just talk about that, that perspective. Yeah. So the second time around versus the first time was night and day for me. So I was a bit prepared, but, but yeah, so a a company that's running a multi-billion dollar fund has more lawyers than, than, you know, I have friends. Uh, And what happens with that situation is they can crank out, you know, hundred questions overnight. And I think these people don't sleep. I mean, we would literally answer a flurry of, of questions and data requests at 6 p.m. one day and 6 a.m. the next day. They have absorbed all that and they wanted that much more. So there's a huge difference there in scale. And again, the big, the big thing I would recommend to people that are thinking about doing this is spend, don't, don't cut corners on, on, paying the right people to help you with your due diligence. Yeah. It's it saved that you share with me your stories and they're pretty traumatic. And, you know, I have to say that probably had you gone a little deeper in the, in, in the P in the, with, you know, recruiting and hiring uh, professionals to really dig deep into these deals. Um, you might not have had those, those issues. So mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for that. Again, spent a lot of money to get it, but, but yeah, I mean, you got to, my my coach said, "Be prepared. They're going to crawl our drawers." Was way oh yeah yeah, and they did. They did, and they leave nothing unturned. And and honestly, it got to the very end. And you know, these lawyers and, and accountants are being paid hourly basis, so they've got incentive, all the incentive in the world to keep digging and digging and That's digging. Right. And we had already gone through tons of things, but one of the last days, they came back and they said, "We found this three thousand dollar check you wrote six years ago, and we can't find documentation for it." And I said, I'm not going to do it. I mean, we have been pay, yeah. paying $2,000 an hour for yeah. this stuff. And they're asking about a $3,000 check from six years ago. I said, no, that's it. Due diligence, due diligence is over. And they accepted that. And mm-hmm. they were ready to move on to the, the buyer. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that is uh, knowing when to call it. But the other one that a, a great mentor told me that I've shared with you before, but I'd, I'd love your commentary because um, it's time kills deals. And this friend of mine told me that um, if you do quarterly audits, you can close a deal in a month mm-hmm. versus if you have eight months, there's a lot of stuff that can go wrong. And the, um, you know, you literally have that situation that you had where the potential buyer just says one day, you know what? We just decided we're not going to do this. Yep. Something can spook them. And there's yeah. so many variables at work. So any other commentary about how time kills deals? Yeah, no, I would absolutely. So the key to avoiding that, time does kill deals. It can happen on both sides. But the big thing you want to avoid as a seller is for a big surprise to pop up to the for the buyer. Yeah. And 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 there are gonna be those. And now we all have them. You know, every business, founder led business that's more than two or three years old, there's some there's some skeletons in the closet or some bodies buried and the key is to surface those and to bring it up and to have a, an explanation behind it so that the uh, buyer knows going in. And because once they find something and it's not been disclosed to them, then their tendency is to go deeper and you don't want deeper. You want them to say, all right, this, because they want to buy the deal. They, they're looking for mm-hmm. reasons to buy the deal. They're not looking typically looking for reasons to, to, to back out. So have the due diligence all structured and organized, um, ahead of ahead of time and in my case thank you know thankfully i had this mentor who knew what the process was going to be that's very good all right well let's move into number two which is sizzle or steak and again um for you as a listener or a viewer right now all these are at ready to sell.me it's a whole toolkit for preparing your business to be purchased you also learn about uh working with joey so sizzle or steak talk a little bit about the sizzle and the steak yeah so i think it's all about branding and and snazzing up something that may not be all that snazzy. Uh, because again, these, these whole, the buyers are people and they have emotions and they respond to, to, to the same things that you, the seller, uh, responds to. So yeah, it's just about, you know, you can have a hundred million dollar company and a $200 website and you're, you know, it's a whole different strategy and you can flip the thing around too. You can, you can spend the money, but anyway, I think it's very critical to, 
to snazz up, polish up. I have a friend that talks about knocking the hair off of the dog kind yeah. of thing. And um, so that's it for me around, around that, you know, make it as snazzy as possible. And um, yeah, a big part of that I think is through the, just the polishing the brand, I guess is the best way I like to think about that. Yeah. You told, you talked about Peacock, you know, and mm. um, you know, what we've done um, for example, and what we're offering is um, part of this little package at uh, ready to sell me is the brand impact scorecard. So it's not just the aesthetic appeal, but it's the packaging, the positioning, the messaging. And we've come up with about 75 different checkpoints that we look for in a brand. And it's like, is you, do you have a good story to tell? Are you referrable? Do you have social proof? Um, all that's included in this checklist that oh, we put in the okay. package. So it's really a nice tool. And, and I think you also, uh, when we were uh, brainstorming about this, it's the icing on the cake. And any buyer is going to look at it and say, how easy is it going to be to sell this product or this service or to attract talent? Because if they're going to scale and grow this thing, that's, gonna, that's definitely going to fall apart. All right, so let's go on to number three. You called it the warts and all. So um, that had to do with the, the credibility and the believability. But um, talk a little bit about that. Well, well I, I think I kind of touched on it just in this last thing where it's okay to, uh, to bring out those things, you know, those negatives that are going to come up anyway, because there's almost a, there's a reverse psychology piece to that too, with the buyer, because these, these investors, the buyer, whether it's PE or, or, uh, you know, any other, any other investor, they're looking for these little warts and whatever other mm -hmm. things that they can like take care of and deal with. And they see that as being a multiplier and that's what they're looking to do. How many ways can we multiply this thing with our skill set? So I think it's good to bring those out, you know, and to and to to talk about those and what were, some, what were some of yours? What were some of the biggest warts that you had that you knew, and then some that were you discovered, especially yeah. during the the big sale that that in your case could have turned into potential opportunities. Yeah. So for me, the biggest one was me. I think, and this was this goes back. This predates the first offer because I had I had definitely maxed out in my potential and what I could do running a. $50, $60 million company, an entrepreneur with no, you know, no year and a half of college. I learned a dean has two lists. Yeah. Yeah. One <laughs> of them gets to go home and the other gets to get the big job. And I was on the one to go home. So I have no, you know, no, no background really in that. I'd kind of like, you know, seat in my pants and bootstrapped every business I'd ever done. So I was way out of my league. So my initial thought was, well, nobody's going to buy me because I can't speak. I can't talk the talk. I don't know the language. I don't know these things. And but what I realized is that was actually uh, something that they were looking for. They were actually looking for the founder who had was ready for to transition to a real CEO, a real management team. Um, yeah, so that was a big, big piece of it. Maybe that was number one for me. Was mm -hmm. was literally was literally me. But I then also had the the internal a lot of the internal things that needed to be fixed. Processes weren't documented. Was probably the biggest one. And I, I think I I got a three million dollar ding for that. Uh, we left $3 million on the table because processes weren't documented. And I knew that my partner, my mentor and I knew that, but we had to make the decision. We have 16, 18 months to get this whole deal done because mm -hmm. we want to take advantage. I didn't know what's going to happen in the marketplace. Is money no. going to go away? I still don't know that. Um, so we made the, made the decision to focus on other things and just say, nope, we don't have documented processes in the business. And so it worked, but it was a, it's a hit. Yep. So then you got to listen to the wah, wah, wah yeah, songs. That's right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Number four, good guts. Talk about that one. Well, that's the goes back to the processes and 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 the all you know, document documenting, hopefully having documented as much of the processes in your business as you can. You gotta have you have to have good books. There's just no way around having good good books because that's P walk from that pretty quickly. Any investor will. Doesn't mean that you have to have them back 20 years. It doesn't mean that they can't be fixed, whatever you have, but you've got to get that fixed. So that's one of the guts. Um, I would say a key part of that is key team members, having, having the right people in place ahead of time and settled into their roles. Um, that's one of those things you'll get dinged on if you, don't, if you don't have that. So those are the biggies. Okay. And then you also talked about um, <clears throat> the ability to hire and bringing in Chris and Tim. So why don't you talk about 
Chris as being okay. one of those important people. Who was he and why was he important yeah. to the sale? Oh, very good. So Tim was a mentor I refer to uh, along the way. So we knew that I wasn't CEO material and Tim was not interested at this stage of his life. He's done all that. He wasn't interested in being CEO for this new company. Uh, so we needed to hire someone. So we were very strategic about that. But at this point, the, the PE company was involved. They, we, were, we both felt good about the deal was going to happen. They knew we needed a CEO, and they knew part of our plan was to hire a CEO. So we went jointly with their input, recruited through a recruiter, talked to a lot of candidates, and hired Chris that you're referring to as our CEO. So not only was he now positioned with the uh, PE company because they liked him, he guided us through the uh, most of that due diligence because he also had a lot of experience in that in that space. So, yeah, for sure. And then number five, um, we've already talked a bit about the buyer, but just talk about the the buyer side of things and what you like if you were advising and working with a business owner right now. What would be the biggest takeaways that you would say? These are absolute musts when you start talking to a buyer. And these are, again, are the invisible things that as a seller, you might not know about the second bite of the apple. Mm -hmm. It's the structure of the deal, um, what they value, what they don't. But just yeah. talk about the personality of the buyer um, and what would be an absolute must. And if you were going to do another sale now, what you would look for and say, these are the, the, on the scorecard of mindsets and values, these are absolute non-negotiables. They have to be friendly. You have to like them, just like any other relationship. And this is a serious relationship. This is right up there with marriage, especially if you stay on, uh, as I'm doing, or especially if there's like, a, you referred to clawback, where there's an op option maybe for the buyer to take back some of the money. You really have to trust them and feel good about them. And, and the good PE companies, and again, I've spoken to a lot of them, and I know a lot of them have gotten to know a lot of them, is at the core, they're good. They really are. I mean, there's some bad ones, bad apples out there, and you got to look out for that. But a PE company that has mutual, your, your best interest aligns with theirs, it's mutual best interest um, that, you know, that you're just comfortable overall with because, you know, you're going to run into the ones. The first one I dealt with, I didn't like them to start with. They were just not, I mean, they were, it's a very sophisticated company, a very legitimate company, but their mode of operation was different than, than, than mine. They were, they wanted to close in 30 days and they were buying 40 companies. And so I went with, as I mentioned before, I didn't take the highest offer, but I, I went with the company that was most compatible. So that's number, that's number one. Also deep pockets. You don't, you want to make sure that the company has, because a big part, especially if you're staying on, you want to make sure they're the backstop that you need. You know, if, mm -hmm. if cash flow changes something goes south you want to make sure that they're capitalized and and they're heavily enough invested already that they're going to backstop anything that bad that goes goes wrong so i think those would be the two biggies yeah you got to okay. like them and they got to be they got to be heavy you, yep. you got to have money well i think something else that popped up um is a great buyer sees the value and they also see the possibility and potential. And one thing that I learned in listening to you is the, um, having a partner that isn't greedy. Yeah. And the fact that they are going to build this up for a second sale. So talk just a little bit about that. Cause I thought that was a key distinction, a, a very subtle, but nuanced and important distinction mm -hmm. of, of having a non-greedy partner in here. Do you have any commentary about that? No, ab absolutely. And that came out early on that they didn't have that, that element. And another thing that, that was encouraging and I highly recommend everyone look for is, is the pa patience model. Some of the, a lot of firms have a built-in time frame. They, they have investors, uh, multiple investors who expect a return on their investment at X date. And at X date, the fund gets liquidated, the companies get sold and doesn't necessarily mean they have to be profitable. So I was attracted to the particular company that I used because they had none of that. Two, two billionaire investors, no time frame. So that's where the greed goes away because now they're playing. If it has to be a long game, it's a long game. Um, so, but yeah, that's, that's huge because they're controlling interest and, and you have no, really no say. You have a board, seat on the board, but at the end of the day, they're looking after their best interest, which they have to do. Yeah, I love that. 
Okay. So from here, I'm, we're going to talk a little bit about the workshops. I'm going to set this up for our listener and our reader, and then I want you to talk about it. So first okay. of all, I, we've got the tools that we're giving away. Again, it's at readytosell.me. Um, you get the transcript, the five big things in, in even more detail than we've discussed here. The 12 core metrics. These are the fundamentals that any buyer is going to look at that you need to have prepared. Um, the brand impact scorecard, which is the checklist of over 70 different things that any smart buyer is going to look at and look for. I'd say they're even deeper, so it's, it's pretty sophisticated, but you really want to understand these. And then finally, an opportunity, what I convinced Joey to do is collaborate. And because he's so fresh out of this and he is such a knowledgeable guy, I said, Joey, if you were going to put together something that you wish you would have had when you sold Mosquito Authority, what would it be? And it's like, I'd like to know everything that it would take to prep and sell my business in the shortest period of time. So think of it as an MBA to be ready to sell. And so what we put together is a workshop. It's a one-on-one -on -one workshop to work with Joey and I for two to three days and to get your business ready to sell and also get some of the tools you need and be prepared so you can communicate with a level of sophistication with a buyer, understand some different options, but also have the preparation in place. So Joey, why don't you talk a little bit about what we'd be doing, what we'd be putting together and what the big value is. Yeah, no, I'm super excited about this yeah, me because too. we've, we've actually pulled together expertise, probably going back, gosh, I don't know, 10, 30, maybe 30 years worth of expertise in our experiences in going, you've been in the M&A space for a long time, so you have more experience than I do. But the beauty of pulling all this together and, and providing tools that in a three-day workshop can, I think, condense what I know what I went through for 18 months and spent half a million, probably more than that. Yeah. So we're pulling all that into, especially the tools, and those are the most useful things, the spreadsheets, the impact filters, all the things that I used and were had available on the second time, not the first time, pulling all that into a two to three day event um, is, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting because I know what the outcome of that's going to be. People are going to leave with everything they need to have make, to make that decision. What's the next, what's the next step? So right. Super yeah. exciting. And I also think the, the ROI, which is um, this can be the difference between getting a seven figure deal or an eight figure deal. And because we're diving deep first in, getting you educate, educated in what the possibilities are. Um, the next is what your market marketing needs to do. So it's how to improve and increase your sales, your brand value. Um, and these are things that won't necessarily cost you a lot of money or take a lot of time, but that give you the multiplier. It gives you more income and less cost, less risk and less time. And getting back to time kills deals if you could shorten the sales cycle by even half yeah. um, in the acquisition and the due diligence and be prepared and not get caught with your pants down. And I know for me, um, I had fortunately after going through this five times myself, I brought in some specialists and I know for a fact that my, what was going to be a probably about $300,000 legal bill was about 125,000 yeah. because I was prepared. Yep. Um, the amount of money, how I got paid, but even a tiny little example where um, in the instance that something went sideways, I my non-compete got canceled. Mm -hmm. And I also kept all my IP. So no matter what happened, I could always restart if things blew up. And I know a very, very famous person who sold his trademark, which was also his name, with a, a big business. And it, 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 it ruined him mm. for two decades. And, and so those are the kinds of things that you want to prevent. So the, the whole idea here is um, two to three days with you and me going deep um, in a fun, enjoyable process. It's going to shorten your cycle, increase the amount of income you get, and um, get some tools that you're going to need anyway that frankly just aren't available anywhere else. And because it's coming from fresh experience, fresh mind, um, and, a, and, a, and a big deal. And also just finding out Part of our goal in giving you the tools up front is, is we'll tell you right away if we think you're saleable or not. We won't say we're the final word, but you know, you've seen plenty of deals, plus the fact that you've got a Rolodex now of buyers. You've got a PE firm that you could put a deal in front of 
and um, they're good people. I've met them too. So absolutely. Um, so I'm going to pass this on to you. Anything else that we want to talk about in terms of the experience, the takeaways from the workshop or working together? Well, no, I think this is, uh, I personally have realized what a life changing and that's understating what a life changing experience it is when you True have that. that, that, that exit. And I want it for everyone else. And I don't need to do this. You don't need to be doing this, but knowing the, the impact that we can have and change major, major changes to people's lives is, makes it all worthwhile. So I'm excited about it. Thank you for having me uh, join you in this venture. Yeah, I'm well, honored. I've I've told you for years, um, when the timing was right, I knew there was always something bigger for us. And when this came along, it was like when we spent some time at the Mastermind in, in Mexico, yep. I just said, you know, we, we had that deep conversation. What are you going to do next? And I said, I got an idea for you. And it's perfect. And it's it's your opportunity to work with, you know, four to six businesses uh, bring them from where they are to to close, mentor the the founders, and do it in a way that's uh, kind and and caring and fun. And uh, the, you know, part of the thing that we also said together is there's nothing better than than working with people you actually care about. <clears throat> you can spend time, play with, and uh, make a huge impact at the same time. And that's uh, what what drives us both. At the end of the day, it's it's the values, the shared common values. So. That's what I got. Absolutely. Thank uh, you. Yeah. No, this has been, a, I've been looking forward to this for years. So uh, we finally got to do it. We did. And um, well, here's what, here's what we're going to do next. Let's look up, say goodbye to everyone up there at the camera. Okay. So head on over to ready to sell.me. Get all the goodies. You'll learn more about working with Joey. Also learn more about doing the workshop with the two of us. And this capability amplifier. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Bye-bye.